Good evening, Browns fans, and welcome once more to OBR Weekly. My name is Barry McBride. I am the publisher of the OBR, and uh, we are here as always. Uh, the rock of the of the OBR webcast lineup, uh, and with me as always, providing the actual knowledge and insight for the program is beat writer Fred the Legend Greetham. How's it going, Fred? You are muted, Fred. Unmute yourself. All right, I'll do it. I normally don't. I never mute it. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't well, have a barking dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got muted, so uh, let me ask you again. How you fine. doing? Okay. Well, that's good I'm to hear. I'm doing fine. Had surgery Friday. Had a rough weekend, but I'm doing good now. Well, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Hopefully, the Browns will be doing better than they were last weekend as well as they prepare to face the Ravens on Saturday afternoon on the NFL Network. Uh, let me uh, say, uh, as preface as always, uh, that uh, my show prep is worse than usual this week. Uh, it's always bad, but it's especially bad this week. So we're going to rely even heavier than usual on your comments on, and questions. Uh, I thought last week's uh, show went really well. And I thought it went really well because uh, your questions were excellent and we relied very heavily on them. I brought some from Ask the Insiders as well. But while uh, we uh, uh, wait for your questions to pour in, uh, i got a couple of topics I want to uh, talk to Fred about. Uh, Fred, uh, first off the board, let's talk about Deshaun Watson. Uh, I've seen a, a whole variety of articles on Deshaun Watson uh, interpretations of the game he played uh, last uh, Sunday. I saw a hit piece uh, in USA Today, uh, which I thought was reprehensible. Uh, I've seen some sort of saying, meh, you know, it's kind of, he did a little bit better. I saw some that said he did a lot better. I thought it was a dramatic improvement from what we saw in Houston the week before. What was your take on the level of improvement that you saw from Watson uh, against the Cincinnati Bengals and uh, how encouraged are you by his performance against Cincinnati? Oh, I'm, uh, I thought it was leaps and bounds better than his first week. Obviously it's, it was a low bar, but um, you know, to do what he did without a running game. I mean, we expected the Browns to be able to run the ball like they had you know, for most of the season <clears throat> and they came out and did nothing. I mean, they're averaging like 2.8 yards a carry or something in that game. Chubb was shut down. Hunt was shut down. Um, and that was really concerning. Um, so the Browns were kind of one dimensional and they were playing from behind. So actually when the Bengals knew he had to throw the ball every play, um, I thought he did pretty well. Um, turned the ball over one time, but when you throw it 42 times, you're probably going to do that. So I think, listen, he's the least of the, the worries. I mean, this guy led the NFL in passing two years ago. He threw for 4,800 yards. I don't care what his team was like. I mean, he was second in quarterback rating despite being on a 4-12 and 12 team. Uh, he, made, he went to the Pro Bowl for the third time. Um, he was seventh in touchdowns thrown in the NFL. He had 33. He's going to be fine. The problem is the way the NFL dished out that 11-game suspension, this season was screwed, you know? So this season, the reason there's a lot of articles about Watson, because that's about all there is left mm -hmm. to play for to see what he – what he's all about and you really you really have to get you know in these four games not only getting him up to speed but seeing if he can mesh with Kevin Stefanski in this offense going forward because <clears throat> you really are expecting and you want to see an offense that's putting up 30 40 points a game not a Baker Mayfield or a Jacoby Brissett offense that just kind of 
putts around and, and doesn't do a lot. You know, you want to see explosive plays. You want to see explosive, you know, dynamic, making, making things happen all over the field. That's what he did before. Obviously it's taking time. Unfortunately, the Browns didn't have time, you know, to play their way back into contention because the season was shot by the time he got involved. Right. Right. Um, <clears throat> let's jump right into these comments because we've got some great comments coming in uh, with respect to uh, uh, with respect to what we saw on offense uh, yesterday. Uh, this one from uh, Amatora one. He said, I thought Watson looked good given the fact the line has been meh and there was no running game. And boy, isn't that the truth. Now, I draw a line directly between the lack of running game and the fact that DJ Reader uh, was abusing uh, Yolte Froholt uh, like uh, he was straight out of, uh, you know, a high school program or something like that. Uh, <coughs> it was really an abusive relationship for the three hours that game was going on. What can the Browns do against this? The Ravens have a very good rushing defense. Our offensive line, especially in the middle with Teller Hurt, Froholt clearly overmatched, uh, has been a disaster, and it is holding back Watson. Chubb is really struggling. I haven't seen a lot of adjustments. What do we do, Fred? Yeah, I don't know if there's a whole lot you can do. I mean, other than the linebacking, losing four linebackers, to injure reserve, the center position has been right up there. I mean, Nick Harris, nobody really knew what he was going to do, but obviously he was, he was projected to be the starter over Ethan Posick. Harris gets hurt in the first play of the preseason game. And Posick was a surprise. He played very well. And then when he went out, they were scrambling because his backup, Michael Dunn, had just went on injury reserve and and who he had played pretty well in spots during the season. And so then, yeah, you move a guard over to center and what can you expect? You know, he's probably doing the best he can, but until this year, I don't think he'd ever started a game. And, and so he's been thrust into the middle. I asked Stefanski on Monday about Dunn because his four weeks are up, but obviously he isn't ready. They didn't designate him for return. So he's not going to play. So you're going to be stuck with Froholt again. So it's been a domino effect. I think with him, I think with Teller being dinged up, Will's not playing that great Conklin coming off his injury. Um, you know, the, the offensive line is just not playing well and, and teams are, are feeding on that. You got, you know, like you said, reader, you know, we talked about it all offseason. If if this guy can make that much mayhem, why couldn't the Browns get somebody somewhat, you know, competent to disrupt the middle of the defensive line? But with that said, the Ravens have Calais Campbell and they have two real active linebackers and Patrick Queen and, and Rokon Smith. And so, yeah, I don't – they've always been good against the run. And – I don't know if that's really going to bode well. So I think that you're going to be relying again on Deshaun Watson, his legs and his arm, you know, to get things going because I don't know. Teams just look at the film and are saying, well, this is how you shut down Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt is just cut down these lanes because the guys in the middle aren't getting a push. So I, I don't, I don't know. I, I would like to think that the offensive line would get things ironed out and they get the running backs or the running game going again this week, but I'm not too hopeful against this Raven defense, which is, you know, they're, they're pretty good. They're second in rushing defense. They're only giving up yeah. 81 a game. So that usually isn't a good recipe. The Browns sometimes have struggled against lesser teams. Yeah. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't necessarily bode well on the subject of centers. Um, Manimal uh, 1955 uh, asked whether Barry signed a center to the practice squad. Uh, guy's name was Greg Mance or something along those lines. Um, have we heard or seen anything from him, from him Fred, 
Is he still on the team? Because uh, I was wondering where he was last Sunday. No, he's on the active roster. Um, when they signed him off a practice squad, you have to go on the active roster for three games. Mm-hmm. And so right. he's there. He's active. So obviously they think Froholt's better than he is. Um, you know, there was a little connection because Mance was from Houston, played with with Watson down there a little bit. Uh, I think he's from Ohio, he's from Cincinnati. But no, I mean they haven't. They haven't. Uh, I asked Stefanski Monday in our presser about Dunn, and I also said, "Would you consider making any other changes on the offensive line?" And he gave the excuse of a short week. We we really aren't going to be able to do much changing. You know, I think that's a little. Saturday at 4.30, you know, I don't know how short that is compared to Sunday at 1. I mean, they do meetings, this and that. But, um, no, they, they obviously don't think Greg Mance is, is better than Froholt or he would probably be playing. Now, maybe, you know, maybe they will put him in there, but we don't see any team practicing, and there's been no indication that that's what they're going to do. <clears throat> All right. Uh, last point on the subject. This comes from E. Gillen. Uh, he says Watson's improvement will be directly related to offensive line improvement, especially if wide receivers can't gain separation. Uh, especially true with Donovan Peoples-Jones, uh, guy who does not get a lot of yards after catch. Uh, obviously very tough. I mean, he fights for the catch and he's very aggressive. Uh, had a very good game, and seems like he's making a connection with Watson, doesn't it, Fred? Uh, those two seem to be have a have a little bit of a rhythm going uh, at at this stage. At least they at least they did in Cincinnati. Uh, that's a pretty good sign for uh, for the team, don't you think? Well, yeah, but it's also by default because Cooper really wasn't playing. You know, he was kind of held back a little. He's got that nagging hip and core muscle so people's jones almost is becoming the de facto number one and so yeah i mean when the game was on the line though when you really needed that touchdown they called on people's jones and threw a fade to him kind of a lower percentage pass i think and i would think if you're gonna go to that play why not go back to najoku who clearly is your better leaper you know he did that in the overtime game, he tied it up and they just threw it up and he went up and got it. So, you know, I was a little surprised that they had that much confidence in people's Jones. They went to him on that fourth down and one as well. So it's good. I mean, he has been a very pleasant surprise (coughs) that you have a six round pick that probably your wildest dreams is, is going to be a legitimate number two. But um, I think, the question about the offensive line Watson's last year with the Texans, they had one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. He got sacked 62 times. He still led the league in passing yards. A lot of us, cause they were behind and different things, but he is known for making something out of nothing. We haven't seen that yet, whether it's just because he hasn't, you know, been comfortable enough, but look for him more, to get out of the pocket scrambling and then it's up to the receivers to get some separation you know when he starts scrambling around that's when you get open downfield and you make the big play he talked about that today but yeah the wide receivers haven't really been getting too open last week they showed several times you know on the broadcast there was no separation and and part of it i think is because cooper was a little dinged up but Bell was dinged up and people's Jones has a trouble, you know, getting too open as well. So I I think that they're going to have to come up with some way to get those guys open, you know, more run pass options or different things like that. But I think you're going to see, you know, Watson more with his legs. And he talked about that today that he's not going to force it, but he knows he's not where he needs to be his goal is to be even better than what he was a couple years ago. So I think he'll be fine. It's just, you know, making sure that these games 
really do mean something as far as the progress of the offense, because mm-hmm. I don't think anybody was imagining seeing eight points a game on the offense. Uh, no, no, that was not the plan. Uh, as we, uh, as we started out, uh, you referenced a little bit, some of the, uh, fourth down calls. There's a discussion going on in the Twitch chat room about, uh, whether Cade York should have been given an opportunity to try a 67 yard field goal, uh, rather than the hail Mary from, uh, Watson at the end of the, uh, at the end of the half. Uh, what's your opinion on that, Fred? Would you have gone for the long field goal, or were you happy to have Watson uh, fling that up there? Well, we actually asked Mike Pre for that today in our time with him, and he said that he was not in favor of York trying the field goal. He was glad that he wanted to and was excited and felt confident that he could make it, but his explanation was that if it didn't go through – the Bengals would have returned it. And he was not um, comfortable because in their field goal unit, there's six offensive linemen. So that means like six big, slow, fat guys. Mm -hmm. And so that leaves you with the kicker, the holder, that's your kicker and your punter and your snapper. So that's nine of your 11. So I, it did kind of make sense that you're basically, if you don't get it to the, you know, out of bounds line, they're going to run, they're going to return the kick and who knows, they might return it for, you know, a touchdown or they might return it for, to get themselves a field goal. So that was his explanation that he was glad that they were confident, but they had a point where they were going to get to before they took the field goal attempt. And he has had a few blocked, that are longer range. So, um, no, I, I don't, I don't think that was the turning point in the game. I mean, get closer, you know, don't, don't rely on mm-hmm. a 67 yard. What's the NFL record 64 yards or something, you know, I, I mean, so I don't have a problem with that. I mean, I have a problem with some other things, you know, how about fourth and one, you know, let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Um, Stefanski's fourth down call with percent in the game. Obviously, it didn't work. When things like that don't work, the coach looks like an idiot. Uh, if they do work, he – I wouldn't say he looks brilliant, but he doesn't look like an idiot. I guess the thing that gets me about that is, you know, uh, the receiver was open. The throw was long. He does that with a cold quarterback, right? He does that with a quarterback who's been sitting on the bench in the cold weather coming in and, you know, who hasn't been playing. Um, it, it, it seems to me some, like something that's that's almost doomed for failure. Uh, but that's 2020 hindsight. What's your take on it, Fred? Well, yeah, I kind of agree. Um, he wasn't warming up, so he was just coming straight in. The whole premise of the thing is he's really good at quarterback sneak. So they're going to think he's going to quarterback sneak. So we're going to fake him out and not quarterback sneak. They did that the week before. Now, if they would have quarterback sneaked in Houston instead of give the inside reverse to Harrison Bryant, maybe maybe they could have got away with it a little more. They could have got away with it if the throw would have been on target. But I agree. You know, we talked about how about, you know, would you bring in Jacoby Brissett for even a package if Watson's struggling or whatever? No, no, no. He's our quarterback. We're not doing anything. But yet two weeks in a row, he brought in Brissett, especially in this one. If you're going to throw the ball, how about why not throw your three-time Pro Bowl quarterback who you paid $230 million to make those plays? He's on the sideline. Nick Chubb's on the sideline. David Njoku's on the sideline. Arguably, three of your biggest playmakers on offense are on the sideline. And you're throwing a fade to Donovan Peoples-Jones. I mean, yeah, if it had worked, it would have been, hey, great play. But at that point, you know, you just stopped the Bengals on their first drive. And it looked like, you know, this could be – points could be scarce, you know. Watson is – the offense that only had two field goals in his first game, 
and one of them was set up on a punt fumble recovery. So take the points, you know, and if you're going to go for it, give them your best shot, not your second string quarterback throwing to your number two receiver. I mean, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. I think we were, uh, we were trying to be very, very <laughs> clever there. And uh, uh, that trying to outthink the opponent just doesn't seem to work all that well in the NFL. Uh, let's go to uh, the, the questions we've got. I've got uh, eight questions here uh, marked and uh, I'm always looking for additional ones. Uh, we've got 40 minutes left in the show. So plenty of room for additional questions or comments that you want us to react to. Uh, especially coming from YouTube. I've only got one question from YouTube. So uh, a bunch of people watching our YouTube channel. So if you guys have anything, fire away, and we will certainly get to it. Uh, this next one, excellent question from Super Surge MC. He says, what does Fred make of Joe Wood's comments about the game plan for Jamar Chase of basically what we did last year worked, so we did it again. Uh, didn't work this year, Fred. Uh, <coughs> and even I a uh, web dork in football dunce was asking during the game, why do we only have one guy on Jamar Chase? What's the reason, Fred? Explain it to me. Well, as I used to say with my kids, you tell me and we'll both know. Um, <laughs> you know, if I was, you know, not thinking this all through, but if you gave me the choice of facing the Bengals, without Lamar Chase or Jamar Chase, or they have Chase, but they don't have Tyler Boyd and T Higgins, I'd take the latter. And that's what they had. They had one legitimate wide receiver. They Their tight end was out. They had guys I never heard of running down the field. Taylor, Irwin, Wilcox. You got to be kidding me. Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow was throwing it to him every play. He said... We had, he gave some statistics, like there was six one-on-ones, and I think he said Ward won three and Chase won two, and one was a draw, but the rest of it, they were in zone. Why in the world are you in zone when Burrow's throwing to him every down? You know, I think he had 18, 19 targets. Um, yeah, I, I was I was very disappointed to see that. You knew where Burrow was going with it, and if Denzel Ward, first of all, if he's a $100 million cornerback, which the Browns think he is, then shut the guy down. He might win some, but get right up on him and shut him down. But if you don't think he can shut him down or he shows he can't shut him down, get him some help. Who else you worried about, you know? And that, that was very disappointing. I mean, you talk about investing in Greg Newsome, Denzel Ward, Martin Emerson, um, and, and you can't slow the guy down when everybody in the stadium knows that number nine is throwing it to number one. They were too far off the ball. It looked like they were 10, 15 yards off the ball. And so there wasn't really any, any contesting of most of those plays. So, yeah, I disagree with what Joe Woods was selling today. He was, you know, trying to say we did a good job and, and I don't, you know, and you can't say, well, he's just that good. Well, you guys, you always say your guys get paid too. Well, how about making making it happen? You know, it was, I mean, they had their hands tied behind their back. When they said Boyd and Higgins were not going to return, I'm like, there's the best gift you got. Put all focus on number one. Well, the Bengals did, and the Browns couldn't stop them. They, uh, they certainly uh... – they certainly could not, and uh, it was very, very frustrating. One of the other things that was very frustrating about the game, uh, one that caused me to have uh, a uh, series of inappropriate actions, which I documented in the Newswire a couple of days ago that were thoroughly unprofessional, uh, was a series of penalties that really gifted uh, – I got to give the Bengals – credit they made a couple of good plays on this drive especially a fantastic burrow pass to jamar chase but uh we really not we the browns gifted uh a drive to the bengals through a series of penalties 
Um, and a lot of people were uh, blaming Jerome Bogart's crew, Bogart's crew uh, for, you know, being biased or hating the Browns or whatever. But, you know, let's face it, the Browns made penalties. They put themselves in situations where flags could be thrown and <laughs> flags were thrown. Um, I wasn't crazy about the uh, interference call on Ward, but Ward was going to put himself in the position where a flag could be thrown. So Super Surgeon C asks uh, another good question about whether there was anything in the uh, uh, questioning of uh, the coaching staff about uh, what's with all the penalties. Uh, why are the Browns? Why were the Browns penalized so heavily down in Cincinnati? Uh, that's usually a matter of, of discipline or desperation by a team that's being outplayed and resorting to penalties to try to even the scales. What is there any reaction from the, the, the Browns coaching staff about all the penalties, Fred? Well, I mean, if you read my story Monday, I wrote a, you know, I had a, a story about the penalties and Stefanski, you know, said that it was physical, you know, as far as we were questioning the discipline in the, 13th game of the year to have those, those that amount of penalties nine penalties for 98 yards and it was more than just the penalties and you can say about the the crew the officiating crew you know that's the officiating crew you have so you have to be smarter when you're playing and I go back to the penalty on that drive you're talking about totally changed the game the the two biggest coaching decisions that I had the biggest problem with was the fourth and one deal, but then going for a block punt on fourth and 16, the Bengals are the guys punting from his end zone. I mean, they're on their own 15 yard line. You're going to get the ball. Even if you just fair catch it, probably at midfield and you would stop them. You got off the field again and Joe Burrow and their offense was struggling. And what'd you do? You run into the kicker and rough him because you're trying to get a block, which I don't even know what the percentages are, but it's not going to happen very often. And you give them a first down. Okay. I said to myself, they're going to go right down the field and get a touchdown now. And not only that, then I think Garrett or Clowney had a sack and the rookie Thomas who wasn't even in the play grabs the face mask of a, of a guy blocking him personal foul negates the sack, which would have stopped the drive again. So they get a first down. Then they throw the long ball. Denzel Ward gets a 33 yard pass interference penalty. They gave up 58 yards in penalties on a 75 yard drive. And Joe Burrow, who was not in sync at all, got in sync on that drive. Mm -hmm. He didn't light up the world the rest of the game, but that was enough. Got him going enough where they got enough points to win the game. The defense <coughs> had actually been playing well until that drive. And you can't give up 58 yards and penalties to any quarterback, let alone Joe Burrow. He's going to take advantage of it, and he certainly did. And he made them pay. So those coaching decisions, I don't know. I assume that that Stefanski signs off when Prefer says, hey, let's go for the block here. But that's a coaching decision. You don't have a shot at blocking that ball, Fields. Just just stay away from the punter. Right. You know, and Prefer right. even said, yeah, he didn't have a chance. He came through unblocked, but he was two yards from the punter, you know, when he dove. And, and he didn't have a chance, you know, to block it. And so you just got to just run around the guy. That was a, a bonehead play. A guy who I think was feeling himself because he had all those turnovers the week before and was really thinking that he's a playmaker and thinking a little more of himself than actually what the reality was. But I think that was the turning point in the game, to be honest. And so, uh, you know, just to bounce off of Josh Meyer's question here, did that Prefer was asked about that, and they were deliberately going after the punt block on that play, um, and they had Fields in there deliberately trying to block the punt. That was their strategy, and uh, 
that's what created the penalty. I didn't know if it, if it was just a, a typical rush on the punter uh, or if they were loaded up to, well, they to try felt, to punt they block. They felt there was an opportunity with a rookie punter to get a block. They saw it in practices, and he went unblocked. Nobody picked him up, and so that's why he was right there. Um, I don't know exactly the wording, but mm -hmm. yeah, they were they were trying to get a block punt, and I mean sometimes the players have a decision to make if they can they go for it. If they can't, they have to pull off. I think that's how it is on every, you know, on every play. But I'm just saying, don't even put yourself in that position. You know, you're going to get the ball at midfield. You would just stop the Bengals and. To me, there's no reason to take the chance at that point. I, I don't know what the per, the percentages have to be right up there with an onside kick, you know, and I, I haven't seen the Browns, you know, block too many kicks. And to think he did say later in the game, they, they pressured the punter and he had a shank. That was the one they got the ball near midfield late in the right. game that, I, I, they didn't score. I think, I don't know if Watson threw an interception or they turned it over on downs down there, but yeah, I mean, I don't mind them being aggressive, but <clears throat> you know, early in the game <clears throat> to me, I think you had much more upside having the ball at midfield than taking a chance on penalizing your defense was all excited. They just got another three and out and and you just gave them on a silver platter the ball back, and they went to work right on them. The defense, you know, was obviously tired from just coming off the field, and and they hit them. They went right at them. Boy, you know that's what gets me about this game. And I, you know, if you if you go on the water cooler, if you go into Asking Siders, you can just feel the frustration. Uh, in the fan base because uh, in, in trust me, I feel it too, because the opportunity was there, you know, the Bengals were hit with key injuries. Burrow was not in the seat at the beginning. Just the opportunities were there for the Browns and uh, uh, they just did not capitalize for various reasons. Um, and as a result, you get questions like this from, from razor zips Um He's asking if Stefanski's really on the hot seat and whether Barry's on the hot seat because there's a lot of discussion about the future of the coaches. Uh, I uh, clipped something I saw on Twitter uh, from the always reliable bookies.com. But bookies.com put out uh, <laughs> the uh, uh, odds of coaches getting fired, right? And number one on the odds at plus 250, which is over a 25% probability is Nathaniel Hackett of the Broncos getting fired. But number two on that list at plus 275 at a 26.7% probability, according to bookies.com, is Kevin Stefanski. And I regard that as much, much higher than I would put on Stefanski getting fired. Um, I don't think that's right or fair at this point, but I have, yeah, that's just my opinion. Um but uh, how hot do you think Kevin Stefanski's seat is right now, Fred? And I ask this knowing that you have you go in and you talk to these guys and and uh, uh, you know you ask questions of them and, and so on and so forth. Uh, so you know I, I I don't expect you to be in here you know calling for heads to be guillotined and and stuff like that. But given your sense of things over the years, how hot do you think Kevin's seat is at this point? Well, you know me, I'm Mr. Guillotine guy. <clears throat> um, I, I don't think the seat's hot as we speak right now. Um, I think these four games are very important. I mean, there's high expectations of Watson. Everybody knows there's a little bit of a learning curve, but now he's had two game learning curve. Now you really want to see some results. If you just see the same old plotting offense that you saw under Brissett and under uh, Mayfield and no explosion, no explosiveness, I think there is going to be some questions, you know, especially if they go four games and it's plod, 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 no, nothing really different. 
The wild card is your ownership. Jimmy Haslam has been kind of silent now. In the past, he, you know, he really had the the quick hook. You remember the Rob Chudzinski one done, and you know, and and a lot of different. He's made a lot of moves, you know, over the years. <clears throat> Most of them knee jerk. I think he likes Stefanski. I think he likes Barry. I think they like the the stability, but it isn't. It is a result driven business. So I do think if you lose out, if you lose the next four and you finish losing five in a row and you end up five and 12. Yeah. I think he's on the hot seat. I don't think Andrew Barry is. I think that um, he's not going to, I don't think they really want to go through this again. He knows he's got a young executive um, that's growing and has done a pretty good job. You know, all things being considered. A lot of it's going to ride with, um, you know, the play of Watson. They went all in on Watson. I have to think the ownership was involved in that. If it was just Barry and Stefanski went all in and sold it to the owner and and he was to, you know, be a flop, then I could see that happening, but not this year. You can't base Watson on these six games, so – I'm not saying that they're done with Watson if they have a bad six games, nor do I think necessarily that they would let go of the general manager. The guy you listed first, the Broncos, I can see that because they got a new ownership out there. They didn't hire him. I don't know this for a fact, but I thought at the time when they hired Hackett, they thought they could get Aaron Rodgers because he was his coach. And if you remember, Rodgers was talking about wanting to get traded. I feel like that's why they hired the guy. And then they got Russell Wilson. They spent all that money, and he has been a flop. So I can see that one. I don't see it yet with Stefanski. Um, I think you really have to give him some time with a franchise quarterback. He has had two years with Baker Mayfield and then Jacoby Brissett and two games with Watson. You really got to see what he's got in store. I don't think they just went out and traded for Watson thinking, well, we're not going to worry about it until he he starts playing. Now we'll drum up an offense. They had to have, you know, a scheme that they really intend to play. And it's got to come out here in the next few games. And you got to start seeing some glimpses that, okay, I can see going into next year, this could really be explosive. <clears throat> yeah, there's some some comments in the chat room uh, who, frankly, I trust more than bookies.com uh, that there were some mistakes in the analysis from the bookies.com guy. Uh, but uh, at the same time, Amatora One points out that he wouldn't scoff at betting markets because uh, at, at betting markets because they put money on the line with this stuff. Point taken. Point taken. Uh, I just, as a guy, I own a lot of .com domain names myself and rightfully skeptical of anybody who owns a website. Uh, <laughs> but uh, let's uh, let's go on to some of the other questions we have. Super Surgeon C comes up with uh, a question about JOK, uh, noting that he's missed nine games in his first two seasons and asking, uh, Fred, if you think that's a reason for concern moving forward. Yeah, I do. I mean – you got a 221 pound kind of a undersized linebacker, um, athletic built more like a safety. And, you know, I think that going back to Andrew Barry and their philosophy, they might have to really reassess their look. I mean, you have four linebackers out for the season. Now I know Taki Taki's a little bigger, but Anthony Walker's a little undersized. JOK's undersized. Jacob Phillips. They're more, built for the speed and athleticism, but I don't know if they're, they're uh, able to endure the rigors of NFL 16, 17 game schedule. And we already have seen on the interior defensive line, getting pushed around with lighter, more athletic guys, as opposed to, you know, your DJ readers, the, the run stopping defensive tackles. So hopefully they'll readjust and reassess if they do fire Joe Woods, you, you know, 
well, well, they bring in a new guy who wants to change the scheme back to a three, four, or, you know, more of the traditional, you know, big, big heavies in the middle. I don't know. All these things come into play. If you change the head coach or you change the defensive coordinator, they have put together a roster the way they have. So <clears throat> if you let go of Woods, you'd almost want to bring in someone with a similar type of a defensive mindset because you're limited on who you're going to be able to acquire this offseason without having much in the draft. You're just going to have basically go with what you have and bring in, hopefully you can get some free agents to, to plug holes on a shorter term basis. So yeah, I, I, I think the thing on JOK is, you know, he's almost shown that he's more of a situational player. I don't know if he can stand up every down. He's great for a Lamar Jackson and chasing those mobile quarterbacks around, but he's done well against that. But against those run heavy teams, you know, he takes a pounding. <clears throat> I think you're muted. You are right. I am muted. Uh, and I can't even blame the dog. Uh, I was thinking he, uh, that JOK would be a nice uh, uh, guy to have had on the field this weekend against Tyler Huntley. Uh, Huntley was a full participant in practice today for the Ravens. Uh, he's a great fit in their system. Um, just sort of curious uh, with a mobile quarterback once again uh, coming against the Browns. How do you think the Browns prepare for him? Uh you know, considering that they're starting their fifth through eighth starting linebackers or whatever this weekend. Yeah, I I mean, like I said, JOK had done pretty good. And Jacob Phillips, when he was playing, both those guys are out. Tony Fields is kind of the poor man's JOK. So I don't know if they would trust him to, to shadow Huntley. Um, but you might even see more of a safety. Maybe Delpit will do some of that. Maybe Ronnie Harrison, maybe John Johnson. I don't know, but probably be a team effort. I was more impressed with Huntley scrambling last year, you know, against the Browns more so than Jackson. You know, you remember, I think Jackson went out of that game. They were down 25 to eight or something. And, mm. and Huntley brought them all the way back to an onside kick that I think the Ravens recovered, but I think there was an inner, I think they threw a fourth down pass or third down pass, didn't get close, didn't get the first down and Tucker didn't get a chance to kick the winning field goal. So, I mean, <coughs> I think they're going to have their work cut out from, I, I thought, and why we're bringing this up, I saw Huntley was a full participant today. Did they have better doctors than the Browns do? Because it seems like when a Browns guy has a concussion, he's out for like a month. This guy got a concussion in the game and he's cleared already. I don't understand that. You know, I guess that's a league wide deal, but it sure seems they interpret things different when they said he left the game and, you know, with a concussion, I was sure that Huntley wouldn't be able to play this week. And yet, you know, they went through the walkthrough yesterday. They said, and I thought, how can you do that if you're in the concussion protocol? And sure enough, today it said he had a full practice. So I assume that he's out of the protocol and he's going to play. So I just I, I look at Brown guys. You get a concussion, you can put them down for a minimum two games. They might be out three games. You know, it's I know it's all different, but I'm just saying, talking outside the box, like man, yeah. Browns have the most uh, concussion prone guys when it comes to being out for a while. I Our mean, guys must be thin skulled or something. Yeah. But I, you know, Fumble 13 had that exact question. And I had it queued up for us to talk about uh, the NFL has standards across these teams, but I guess the, you have different medical staffs. I, I don't know. I, I guess I have to research it a little bit more to try to understand it because it, uh, it it does seem to be uh, uh, does seem to be different from team to team in terms of how serious these things are. But I, you know, it has to be different as as Paul Spencer says in the chat from from player to player. Um, 
you know, I, I, I can't reach any judgment on it. Uh, super fly, fly Rob has, has a more cynical view on it. Um, let's, uh, well, I, under, I understand that it is player to player and there's more severity, but it just like, how in the world does somebody get ruled out of a game with a concussion, but then two days later he's cleared, you know, you're like, well, that don't make no sense. I know Ronnie Harrison had to leave a game last a week or so ago. It was right at the end because they were evaluating for a concussion, but then the next day they said he wasn't in concussion, so he's fine. But if Huntley was in the concussion protocol, I don't know how you're just like a couple days and you're good to go. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, you know, it's uh, the Cleveland Browns luck. But then again, facing an unknown third string quarterback uh, is not necessarily a cure for the Browns defense either. Uh, you know, Brandon Allen would like a word. Uh, Kid Wilson, 33, on YouTube asked, is it a given that Woods and Prefer are gone this offseason? I would not say it's a given. Uh, I would say that there certainly should be a discussion about it. Uh, but that uh, Kevin Stefanski has proven to be extraordinarily loyal to uh, his coordinators. Um, I would say, you know, Fred, that uh, the loyalty that Stefanski has shown to his coordinators, even if he does let go of one or the other this offseason, uh, prospective coordinators, you know, that he's looking to hire should take note of that, you know, as they're looking at Cleveland. Stefanski is not a guy who willy-nilly gets rid of people, you know, on a whim, right? He legitimately gives people a chance to succeed on their on their merits, right? Uh, Woods and Prefer have been given certainly every opportunity to succeed or fail, and that should give him some coinage i would think with prospective uh, coordinators coming in i don't know um that's the best spin i can give it i guess at this point um what do you think well yeah he has been you know um loyal or whatever to a fault even you know last year the first half of the season it was the same thing woods is gone um <coughs> This is a guy that was being talked about as an up and coming, you know, head coach possibility. And if the Browns would have had the type of defense they were expecting this year, top 10 defense, and the Browns had a successful season, went to the playoffs, I think he would have been in the talk for being a head coach as it is now um, because they've underperformed. Um, yeah, I could see the, the decision already being made. But again, in these last four games, if they go out and play very well, underhanded or shorthanded with the injuries they've had at linebacker, you know, I could see them saying, well, we're going to bring them back. Um, <clears throat> at some point, you might just need a different voice. And I think you have to see who's available and you want to make sure that you are getting someone better than what you already have. Um, you know, right off the top of my head, you know, on special teams, I like Brant Boyer. Now he's the special team coordinator now with the Jets. He really wanted the job here when they hired Prefer. I know he would like to come back to Cleveland, but I don't know if you can do that, you know. So that to me would be an upgrade. Um, at defensive coordinator, I know Brad wrote a story about options. Um a lot of things come into play, you know, what kind of schemes are going to play is you're going to have to change the personnel and Stefanski has been slow to make moves. I see if he hasn't made a decision or can't make a decision on these guys, it might come from Andrew Barry or Jimmy Haslam saying you have to make a change at one or both these positions. And then I, you know, then, then he would do it. Um, or he could take the line and stand. Well, if you're making me fire him, then, then I'm going to quit too. I don't think he'd do that. But with that said, I'm a little curious about the Alex Van Pelt thing. He's been offensive coordinator for three years. What do you want to do if you're 
usually you want to aspire to be a head coach. And the way you do that is you're an offensive coordinator calling the plays. He hasn't called Mm -hmm. the plays other than that one playoff game. I don't know why he isn't saying, look, I want to call the plays or I'm out of here. He seems to be content. So again, maybe part of the deal is Haslam says, look, Kevin, you're going to be the head coach, but you need to give up play calling and let somebody else do that. And you manage the game. We feel like you're not taking an active part in the whole process. You know, some of these decisions one, the other day, you know, I brought it up on the other night's show. You remember we talked about the fourth and one, but on second and eight or nine, Watson took off running and he dove for a first down and they moved the ball back like two yards and they said it's third and one. The Browns didn't get it on third down, then they went on fourth. Why didn't somebody challenge that? Because Mm -hmm. he didn't give himself up sliding. He dove head first for the first down. I'm sure he had the first down. But things like that, Stefanski's too worried about the next play. Maybe, you know, he could be like, wait, 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 wait. That was the first down, you know. That totally, nobody even talked about that that I know of. So, you know, it's just stuff like that. I don't know how it's all going to play out. But I almost, you want the Browns to finish well, but you don't want them to, you know, go 4 and oh and say, okay, we're fixed. We don't need anything yeah. on defense. We don't need anything on special teams. We're just going to go with what we got because we're all fixed now. All right. Here's a question from YouTube. Rocky Balboa asks, can we sit Conklin? The guy who's been in the news this week is saying he wants to basically retire in Cleveland. But he asked, can we sit Conklin and see what we have in in James Hudson? Might be an interesting rationale for that. What do you think, Fred? Well, I I asked when I was asking Stefanski about possible changes on the offensive line. <coughs> I had mine, Hudson. If you are moving on from Conklin at the end of this year, which Jack Duff and a lot of our people think for sure they are, <coughs> it would make sense to play the young guy to see if you have your right tackle, you know, on the roster or what. It seemed like he played pretty well the first two games until Conklin came back. But then again, maybe, you know, they say it takes a year to recover from this thing. Conklin is just hitting one year now. You know, I know that our analysts have said he's lost it. He's not any good anymore. Maybe, maybe he will get better, you know, in these last four. Maybe he's just, it's like he's been playing, but he really hasn't been back to himself. Maybe he will, or maybe he won't. I don't know. But a lot of those discussions would matter if they've talked to him and said, look, we do want you back. And maybe I don't think he'd be in a swing role, you know, like a Hubbard or something, but you know, who knows? It it all comes down to what they think he's going to be next year. Is he going to be back to the way you, the pro bowl Conklin or the middle of the road average right tackle that you could probably get on waivers from somebody. So Again, it's their evaluation. And if they play him the rest of the year, you know, that would tell me that that they feel that there might be a possibility to bring him back if he really wants mm-hmm. to stay here. Um, but you don't bring him back just to bring him back. Again, the loyalty thing, knowing Stefanski, I just feel like he's going to play Conklin, you know, just because he got – this award this week, everybody spoke highly about him. They feel like he's really worked hard. I don't know. That's just kind of how they they seem to do things. I just he doesn't make a lot of benchings, you know. If a guy gets mm-hmm. hurt, then then obviously they replace him. But if they don't, they just keep on putting him out there. Well, Conklin, you know, to his credit, came back from a pretty severe injury, you know, a patellar tear, right? And he came back pretty quick. You know, so uh, I got to give that's him what I'm got to give him credit for that. Saying. Yeah, that's exactly. what I'm saying. They say it takes about a year and he tore that in the Ravens game last year about this. You know, it might have been in November, early December. And so here it's a year just now. So maybe it isn't all the way back. 
or maybe he's just never going to be the same. I don't know. I don't know how you, and the only way you gauge that is how he plays the next four weeks. If he really lights it up, then he's a free agent. And I know that he's under, con- they redid his contract and I think he's real expensive next year. So if he really wants to stay here, he'd probably redo his contract again. Let's, uh, let's go to this question from Josh Myers on YouTube. He says, what is up with all our players getting hurt? I get it's near the end of the NFL season, but we're losing entire position groups. Certainly what's happened at linebacker is weird uh, with basically, you know, our entire starting linebacking group getting injured. Uh, but I wrote about this this morning uh, in terms of, Everybody around the NFL having this issue, you know, we saw it in Cincinnati. Uh, Baltimore has pretty much its entire quarterback room, you know. They're miraculously healing now, but uh, uh, they were injured. Uh, but uh, it always seems like the Browns are a little bit worse off than everybody else. Fred, do you think that that is, uh, you know, has something to do with conditioning or do you think that, maybe the Browns are just not as good at uh, the next man up type mentality. Uh, not Maybe not quite as deep as some other teams. Uh, any thoughts about why injuries seem to affect us more than it seems to affect other teams? Well, I don't know. I mean, in a big picture, I don't think the Browns have really had major injuries on offense. I mean, they're, they've had their running backs intact this year. They've had their quarterbacks intact. I mean, albeit under suspension. Uh, Cooper just recently, you know, a little ding. The joke who's missed a few games. But offensive line's probably been on offense the biggest area. I don't know. On defense, I think there's something to be said about the size. I mean, they, they went more for the smaller – more athletic linebackers. And if, if the guys up front aren't slowing them down, they're getting run over like a truck, you know? And, and when you're a 220 pound, you know, linebacker, you know, relying on athleticism um, and a guy comes at you, a 240 pound running back with a big lineman leading the way you're, you're all it takes is one time. And I think that's part of the deal. So I don't know. I mean, one aspect you can say, yeah, they've had injuries. Everybody has injuries, but you, you know, you haven't really seen the, you lost, you know, your Miles Garrett for the year, or you lost Clowney for the right. year, or you lost, you know, your stars for the year. They've had a game or two or whatever, but I think everybody does deal with that, but that's why you just got to keep adding depth and, and I thought they had more depth this year than they had in past. But at linebacker, you just can't go through four linebackers, your top, you know, four, four or five linebackers <laughs> on injured reserve. There's just you just run out of there's only so many spots. I hear you. I hear you. Well, with that, I think we're gonna wrap up <laughs> uh tonight's show. We got through pretty much all the questions tonight. Uh we didn't have to put up with me ranting about anything. I think it was a good show. What about you, Fred? You think it was a quality show this evening? Yeah, I always, always <laughs> think it's quality, you know. If somebody's willing to dial in and listen, you know, I appreciate it. Listen to me rant and listen to me give my takes. Um, but, you know, it's disappointing, you know, that I had a lot of hope and promise for this season. And, uh, yep and you feel like you're wasting a lot of these good players on the roster. And, you know, I said it, I wrote it, the NFL screwed with the Browns and they were going to make sure that they didn't have a successful season. They did not want Deshaun Watson to be able to ride in, you know, and be the hero and 11 games is just too much. If Joe Burrow's out for the first 11 games, Justin Herbert, um, I don't know of any team that can still be standing after 11 games, you know, that has a franchise elite quarterback. You just, because most of them have journeyman backups and it's a quarterback game. So that's why the Browns are in this position. Jacoby Brissett did well, but the elite defense let them down and they were four and seven. That's when the season was over. When you lost to the Jets or the Falcons or the Chargers, any number of those 
four games by nine points that your season was over. So for uh, Fred Greetham and the entire Cleveland Browns fan base, we would like to thank Roger Goodell for our 23rd consecutive miserable season of Cleveland Browns football. And we will be back again. Uh, we're going to be back again next Wednesday, right, Fred? You're going to be available to do the show on the 21st? We'll be back as again. As far as I know. As far as I know, I will too. Uh, we'll be back again next week, Wednesday, to talk about more of it <laughs> here on OBR Weekly. We will see you then. Good night, folks. Thanks, everybody.